Hello and welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and with me today is Ben Bishop, one of the artists who's working on uh, many of IDW's comic books, as well as the upcoming Last Ronin. How you doing today, Ben? Good, man. How are you? Good. So, what can you tell me about Last Ronin? What spoilers can you give up? Well, I guess we'll start with the big one. The Last Ronin is Optimus Prime. No. He's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Never going to tell you who it is. Uh, I've been doing a lot of podcasts lately, and I have to think of something clever to say every time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's going to be great. Um, I've seen everything that's done thus far, and it's looking really awesome. It's looking like no other turtle book that has come before it. I think that's safe to say. Um, but that's also typical turtles, right? Like it's always changing styles and passing between different creators and. And that's what we love about it. So I think everyone's going to love it. Um, it's dark. It's edgy. A lot of people have compared, you know, just the just the covers that they've seen or the synopsis that they've read to The Dark Knight Returns. Um, and I don't think that's accidental from Kevin and Pete. Sure. Um, they're in love with Frank Miller and Turtles has always been referencing Miller. Um, and so they continue to. It's going to be great. I mean, for those, I mean, everybody should know if anybody's listening to this podcast, they probably should know, but like last road is a story. Kevin and Peter dreamed up how many years ago? Do we know? Um, so I was one year old. I was, it was, uh, it was 1987 and I'm not sure if they like, if it's a lot like, you know, the, the story we all know of how the turtles were created, where they were just hanging out and goofing off and eating pizza and watching Bruce Lee movies. But um, either both of them or one of them sat down and started writing, um, what they, I, and this is all from things that I've heard, you know, so I, I'm not a hundred percent factual, but at the time, I, I think they had planned for it to be the last turtle story they ever do together. Um, which is just like, has so much weight in and of itself. Um, but what I know is at least that Pete sat down and just like jammed on his, his computer of the time um, and, and just wrote this big adapt or this big synopsis of what the story would be way back in 1987. Um, and there's stuff in that synopsis. That's just, I have a copy of it. It's amazing. Cause there's also like sketches from Pete, but um, this isn't spoiling anything. Cause Kevin said it too, but Pete is essentially like a prophet. Like he was writing, cause this is a future story. It takes place um, at that time. It took place 40 years from 87 um, and so it's a similar time frame from now. Um, and Pete was literally predicting things that we have today. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, like, uh, way back in, if not in yeah, school. like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can say it yet, but there are things that just like were unthinkable then that are now part of our everyday lives. And he was just writing them down. It was like, man, should have applied for a patent or a trademark or something, but it's amazing. He always had. I think his thumb on like the pulse of technology and things like that. Like Kevin always makes the joke that he had one of those watches that you would literally like wind um, or like some crazy calculator. And you've seen Pete, he's got all the pens in his pocket. Like he's just, he's Donatella in my opinion. <laughs> I remember <laughs> so reading I volume four and regularly seeing him with pictures on his uh, Segway back when the Segway he, yeah. was born. Just like always looking for like the new thing, which is kind of cool. So yeah, I, I think I think Fiona told me that story from Eastman Studios. She said that like Pete bought himself and everyone at Mirage Studios the Segway when they came out. <laughs> and you, if you just happened to be in town on those days, you would see like this line of turtle artists going like ten miles an hour on their Segways in their helmets, and that must have been amazing. <laughs> That's hilarious to witness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, like this is a and you you're doing uh, what part of Last Ronin are you doing? Yeah. So there's um, still a main series artist for sure, and in this case, it's actually two artists. It's the uh, I forget their their name because it's hard for me to pronounce. But I think it's either one of their first names or their last name Isao Isao, um, and I'm not even sure if that's how you say it. But they. They um, have done work for heavy metal, which of course Kevin has had ties to. Um, and so I think that's how they, they came into his um, line of sight and they'll be doing like 
everything that takes everything you've seen so far, essentially of like the future last Ronin guy um, in the city and flying cars and all that stuff. And what I'll be doing is all of the flashbacks. So um, it's going to have its own style, which will be my style, which will be a nice contrast between, you know, the main story and then what's happening in the flashbacks that you see. Um, and I've been told that it's about, it's a little less than half the series. So um, from issues two through five, it should be about half the issues. Um, but in issue one, I have a smaller load there. Very cool. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. I remember you, uh, I mean, that must've been a pretty exciting uh, phone call to get to find out you're yeah. on, on last Ronin. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, definitely. Um, anyone who follows me might know what I'm already working on, but my like, my plate is overflowing with, with stuff that I'm um, doing between, you know, all the comic stuff, of course. Um, I've got the aggregate book too, which is my creator owned split decision comic, um, which is going to be around 300 pages when that's done. So I'm working on that and then drawing blood too, which is the book I do with Kevin, um, which is what we call the fictional true story of how the turtles were created. But instead of Kevin Eastman, it's this guy, Shane Bookman, and instead of creating the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, he created the radically rearranged Ronin Ragdolls, who are samurai cats that eat sushi, uh, named after famous anime directors Miyazaki, Tezuka, and Otomo. Um, so I'm in the middle of that book, and then I'm seeing, you know, last Ronin stuff come in from Kevin because he likes to share it with David and I. David's the writer on Drawing Blood, and I'm just like, man, this looks awesome. This looks awesome, and and he kept mentioning. Um, that there might be a place for another artist on flashbacks. And I was like, man, I'd really love to do that. And it wasn't even something I was asking about. I just said like, man, I wish I wasn't so busy so that I could do that. This is like a dream project, of course, like it's huge. And he just kind of kept being like, yeah, 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 it's too bad, too bad. <laughs> and then um, I think eventually he had just spoken with David about you know, what do you think if we had been do this? Because obviously it'll, you know, kind of move the schedule of drawing blood and aggregate a little bit. Um, and David and him kind of came to the conclusion that um, they'd be stupid not to give him the opportunity, you know? Um, and Kevin and David, they've always been incredibly generous. So I think they were like, look, we're going to do this and it's going to make last Ronan awesome. And, Drawing Blood was going to be awesome no matter what. But if Last Ronin is enormous, that could be really good for Ben, which is also good for Drawing Blood, you know. And so, like, just you're working together as much as we can, uh, essentially, um, as often as we can, I think, is is a good good thing. I'm, and I'm, like, just, like, beyond myself that Kevin keeps me in that category, like, of, oh, this is the guy I want to work with as often as he's available, uh, which is really awesome. Now, this is the first Eastman and Laird story. Uh, I mean, a story coming from Eastman and Laird since City at War, right? Um, I think so. The IDW say. City at War, or was that No, I'm sorry, that from some, like, Mirage City at War. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I was going to say, I think it's been longer than that. Oh, no, goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I'm not sure. I, I'll be the first to admit, like I came into turtles on the toys and the cartoon and then like discovered a decade later that there were comics. And then I saw the comics and was like, wow, this is weird. I liked it, but I was like, not really my turtles. You know what I mean? And sure. then it wasn't until, um, it wasn't until the Nickelodeon show by Ciro that I was like, okay, turtles is still really rad. And then it wasn't until I looked to the comics that IDW was doing stuff. I think they were already at like Dark Leo. So like volume six oh, wow. with Santa Luca. And I was like, uh, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And so I went back, you know, to issue one and did all that. So my point being, I may not be the best uh, at knowing when the last time they worked together, but I think, I think you might be right. I think it was a long, long time ago. <laughs> For sure. Is Laird involved in this at all, or is just the story they mapped out and now it's moved? Um, as far as I know, he, and this is again, just me, as far as I know, I might be wrong, but it was that initial 
you know, synopsis, the big document. It's like a many, many page document that Pete had made that was then being adapted by um, Tom and Kevin because they also have to have to make sure it's, you know, 40 years from now or now about rather than 40 years from 87, you know? Sure. Um, so there's a lot that has to change in that regard. And I think, I think early on, Kevin and Pete did talk back and forth quite a bit about it. Um, but as far as I know, that might be it. And again, it's as far as I know, they could very well still be chatting about, you know, plot points and stuff right now. Very cool. Um, I know we're all very yeah. excited about it. I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah. All the, the teaser outwork and everybody's online about who the last Ronin is. And I, I'm, uh, yeah, it, it's been really good hype. I've, I've said it before that, like, I don't even know. I mean, I would hope it was intentional that they, knew the fans would just get so hyped if you didn't reveal who the last Ronin was. I mean, probably intentional, but like on this end, I never heard that it was intentional. It might've just been like a byproduct, like, Oh, it'd be really cool if they find out later, but it's causing so much like buzz and conversation and, and like thousands of posts that are just like, who do you think it is? Or them analyzing covers that came out like 60 issues ago and thinking that it's connected (laughs) somehow uh this isn't marvel like not not this isn't a marvel movie like we did yeah i don't think they uh i mean i don't think they were dropping clues back in issue 12 but maybe um now everyone's gonna race and look at issue 12 (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't i don't really and i i i told you i really don't want to know until it until it hits i do like the idea though and people would hate this but this is just me, I would love the idea that we never find out who it is. We go the entire series uh-huh. having that been revealed, but I'm sure there would be much more angry nerds than be than pleased ones like me. So I'm fine with whatever it ends up being. So. <laughs> I think that could be really cool too. It could be, um, you know, it could be kind of like the end of Inception that just keeps people talking, and they've all got their own theories on whether he's dreaming or not. And you know, yeah. same same kind of thing here. I've been told by many people that they wish that it was a split decision comic uh which is the company i started for for my books where you get to you know decide where they go somewhat like an old choose your own adventure book but in a comic and so they were like oh imagine if it was a split decision book and i think it is now that you're on and like they act that's like some of their theories they're like i think you're gonna get to the end and you're gonna have a choice uh, and it's gonna like be one of four endings <laughs> and like, oh wow okay. uh, man wouldn't that be sweet too though yeah Maybe I'll just do my own, uh, like once the book is done and now I'll do three new endings Yeah, <laughs> and then just, put in a choice somewhere in the middle. Just release them like Clue where different comic shops get different endings. Yeah. And not that I want this to happen, but as far as like theories of who the last Ronin is, some of my favorite theories that are sure. super interesting. And again, this doesn't mean it's not happening because I'm going to throw different uh clues in every direction but some of my favorite theories are the people who say like it's casey wearing a a turtle suit (laughs) or it's it's somebody wearing like a turtle suit or it's like a hologram or or like some other and this is actually more plausible i think as far as like what could hold weight but like maybe it's some other human character who then mutated into a turtle like maybe it's not not the four brothers at all um who knows but i think all that is super interesting and all those conversations are super interesting and they're all happening simply because the team here uh essentially bobby tom and and kevin and p i'm i assume like decided let's not tell everyone who it is just yet and, and i think that's really smart it's a smart move for sure um yeah. you know that, i mean just to kind of rewind a little bit i mean that's a hell of a place to come from for a guy who's you know, I mean, as a kid, you were a hardcore Turtles fan, right? I mean, like, I, I there's a Facebook post of you that pops up regularly of you and your turtle sleeping bag that I, I think I yeah. had a sleeping bag at that age. So. Yeah, I think everybody did. And the sheets yeah. and the pillowcases, that every time I post any of the sheets and pillowcases, I have to, like, field 32 comments that are like, I got that same one. It's like, I know, we, we all have it. Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know. Of yeah, course. Thumbs up. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I have been... I mean, at literally as far back as I can remember, I remember being 
we're in the car on the way to the drive-in for Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. And my parents were always late for everything. And so we got uh, pulled over for speeding because we were late. And me and my brother in the back, like completely freaking out because now we're going to be even more late. And the cop is like, okay, do you have any idea why I pulled you over? And my dad's like, yeah, we're speeding. And he's like, well, why were you speeding? And he just like points to us in the back and he's like, we're trying to go see turtles too. And we were just like sweating and our <laughs> eyes bulging out. And the cop is just like, go, go. And he let us go. That's uh, awesome. It was amazing. So like, my point is, yes, I've always, always been obsessed. I can't remember a start age. So it was probably as long as I can remember. Um, Same here. Yeah. And yeah, I've got, the, I've got uh, these photos. I've got a couple. Um, I've got a lot of old drawings, which is cool. But it's what I've always been interested in. Um, not just like turtles as, as like what everyone loves about it, which is the characters and the way they look and the comics and the stories. And, but even like from a young age, I was and not like my youngest age, but maybe around like 11 and up, I, I started thinking about like what, it all was. And the fact that, that that was like something that these people made and now it's enormous. Like, and that's what it inspired me in all of those plays and self-publishing and starting my own companies and creating my own characters and making those books or pitching them as cartoons or pitching them as shows or whatever it was like, you couldn't find a better example for like, um, Hey, we had an idea and it went well and we made it then, then Pete and Kevin. And it was because they were literally just self-publishing their comic book, which so many people do, but for whatever reasons, this one just like exploded. And so I looked at that as like the possibility of like this giant, you know, mega franchise and what that means. And it's not just dollar signs and stuff. It means that like little kids are wearing the, you know, the underwear sleeping in the sleeping bags and it's changing their whole life. And it's, it, it's, it's inspiring them in some way, like whether it's, you know, character and comic based or whether it's just like the ability that you can create something from nothing and it'll just explode. Um, I have the comic that I created when I was 11 years old and there's only ever been one copy of it um, for 23 years now. And it's just like, that's pretty cool. And then a character in that comic book I got into a Savage Dragon story a couple years ago that Eric Larson wrote. So I was obsessed with Savage Dragon. I took this character Switchblade from my first my first comic, essentially. It was like eight pages all stapled together. And I told Eric about him because Savage Dragon is actually a character that Eric created as a little kid. And I said, can I can we do a story about like switchblade versus like evil future Savage Dragon? And and we did it. And it's in Savage Dragon 255. Um, so like that idea of creating something from nothing as a kid and like having it work and be well received and people want to see more of it is just like so exciting for me. Um, and that's why essentially why I make comics and not why I, and that's why I don't just simply like paint or, um, you know, I like to tell stories and I like the characters with them. So yeah, that was a super long answer to the question, but no, not at all. That's um, great. But they they really inspired me for those reasons almost more than the fact that it was simply turtles. But turtles sure. was such like a slam dunk bullseye that I was just like, "Yep, that is amazing too." Like, <laughs> did you have like yeah. favorite um, like favorite toy or anything like that as a kid? Like, what was your favorite action figure, Playmates wise? Yeah, so uh, I don't know if he would count as a vehicle or not, but I loved needle. Uh, yes, the mosquito. Um, before I started getting actual turtle work with IDW, uh, I was doing a lot of like fake covers, hoping they would just like go like basically as representations of what I could do, you know, like sample pieces, but I didn't just throw them away or put them in a drawer and I was done. I went to comic book conventions and I sold prints and whatnot, but I was also writing this story uh, called TMN 10, which is the crossover of TMNT and Ben 10. And it was, uh, at the time, IDW held the rights for both. And so it was like the only place that it could happen was in a comic because it, otherwise it was Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. But in a comic, they had their rights to both. And I was like, oh, it's just a perfect, perfect matchup. It's like the biggest franchise of all time. And then the second biggest franchise of all time, which was Ben 10. 
and like obviously inspired by i'm going off on another huge tangent but i like it so you've got like the party wagon and the rust bucket you've got splinter and grandpa max you've got gwen and kevin you've got april and casey and you've got the dna aliens which have like brains for heads and then you've got the krang and they're all like a hive mind it's just like again and again and again i was like the perfect crossover so i wrote six issues of this thing and my favorite part about those six issues are the fact that i put needle nose in it and i gave him a human form before he changes and a whole backstory of like what happens to him and why and then like he's pissed about it at first so he's like the villain and then he's like uh, I was just angry and my whole body's in pain. Like I'm on your side now. And so he becomes like a hero in the story too. I fucking love it. So you know how I picture him as a human? I was going to ask you, uh, what's he, what was his backstory according to Ben Bishop? Okay. Well, here's, here's the human form. And as soon as I say it, you're going to think it makes perfect sense, which is just Roger from Doug. Green skin with the orange wavy hair. Like yeah. that's what he looked like as a human. <laughs> like just Roger from Doug. And he, he was like an intern for Baxter um, before Baxter transformed himself. Um, and so there's the whole like bug connection. Baxter's place was just like riddled with insects. And yeah. so, <laughs> so it basically happened the same time Baxter's happened. Um, but he, you know, becomes wise to the fact that, you know, Baxter was kind of, planning that and it was meant to test the mutagen and whatnot and, and so he gets pissed off and joins the turtles and ben 10 but uh, i've got the main villain in that story i like will never ever tell until it's out but i'm so happy with that story i gotta do it one day so anyway i was pitching that to idw and they kept just being like, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. And now they don't have Ben 10 anymore. So I'm just sitting on it. I might do it one day when I have unlimited free time and don't need money, but I still think it's like the best crossover idea. Like next to daredevil, you couldn't find something that matched up with turtles better than Ben 10. In my opinion. I, I'm trying so. to think of, they've done a ton of crossovers in recent years. And, uh, I think of my favorite mm-hmm. one. I really like the Power Rangers crossover. I don't know if you checked that out, but I was pretty fond of that one. Yeah, I did a cover for that one. I did a cover for issue oh, one. Right. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, no, no worries. And uh, I thought that that was genius as well because Power Rangers kind of like came from the fact that Ninja Turtles was around. They were trying to compete with that. That's why you have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mighty Morphin power rangers yeah. like that's not an accident yeah. <laughs> and so and like karate and ninjas and stuff it was all awesome. color-coded so, so if, yeah yes color-coded so the fact that they're kind of like acknowledging that finally by doing this crossover was really cool but the art was like oh yeah it was like unreal uh simone de mayo or de mio um just like churned out those pages so fast because i read the synopsises or the synopsis for all six issues before like the first one was even done and by the time i like finished my cover for issue one he was on to like five issue five like he's a freaking madman it was so good and i was reading it's come out now so i hope i can talk about it but I was reading what they were going to do. Like Rita was going to make Bebop and Rocksteady grow. And I was like, awesome. that's genius. Yeah. And then yeah. there was going to be like a turtle zord. And I was like, oh my God, people are going to lose their minds. Uh, so good. They hit all the kind of like awesome nerd points. Like like mm-hmm. some of the crossovers they've done have been good. But like, you know, like when they did Batman and Turtles, like the thing you want to get out of it is you want to see the rogues gallery mutated. Like that's... And they did that, yeah. Batman and, and, and Turtles. And like with Power Rangers, for me, like every single point you want them to hit, which is <laughs> Turtles in the Power Ranger costumes, Turtles, uh, some sort of Turtle Megazord, uh, Giant mm-hmm. of Rocksteady. Like I, I remember on the eve, like it didn't even occur to me while I was reading it until I got to about issue three. And I'd be like, you know, it'd be really cool if they just made Bebop and Rocksteady the giant creatures that stop Yeah. Them. And then they did it, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was just – it rewards every sort of nerd desire in a great yeah. way. Yeah, it was genius. I, I mean, I love the Batman turtle stuff, but that was announced, like, when I was pitching that, that Ben 10 thing, which I think is, like, a perfect reflection. And, <laughs> and I was just like – I was just like, Batman, like, what? Like, 
there's no, there's really no reflections in there, like in their big reaches. Like, and I was like, all right, all right. I bet they're going to do what they always do where it's just like every Jeff Loeb book where it's just like a thousand villains, every single character. Cause they're just like, people want to see, you know, the hammerhead guy and the clay guy. Like, like I just like, yeah. And they did it. They did that very thing. And I was like, nah, I don't really care. It was all brilliantly done, brilliantly written. Like you can't, you can't even, you can't throw shade at James Tinian at all. And Freddie Williams is an insane, insane artist, but the story itself, like I was like, God, I, I don't know. I was coming out from a negative cause I wanted them <laughs> to do Ben 10, <laughs> but, uh, sure. but yeah, it, it came out fine, but I still haven't seen the animated movie, but I hear all good things. I really like the animated movie. I, I went into it a little bit like yeah. sure, just because like I don't know, I'm not into the DC animated movies as much. I just don't I just don't dig them as much. But the uh the animated movie I was really surprised by. I really liked it. Yeah. You know, I wanted to say I ask you, um so how did you, you know, after being a huge turtle fan as a kid, how did you um uh get get into comics? Like when did you first get published? How did you get started? Yeah. So uh yeah, I've been drawing forever. Wrote to Marvel when I was 11 years old. I tell a little bit of this story every podcast, so I'm sorry if you've heard it before. But uh, they said, you're not old enough and you're not good enough. But they said, keep sharpening your skills and call us when you get older. And so, I mean, I probably would have anyway, um, but I, I just drew every single day. I started making up my own comics and characters, like I mentioned, um, in 1997 when I was 11 years old or so. And... Um, and then I just, I just kept doing that and kept doing that and kept doing that and kept doing that. And then when it came time to graduate high school, I tried to go to college. I was only able to go for a year. I couldn't afford it anymore. And so then I was really like, oh, what the hell? Like, I couldn't just get a job at 11. Okay, plan A. Plan B, I couldn't call them when I got out of high school because even though he said to do that, it was just kind of like encouragement. And then C, which is what, everybody tells everybody for every job you got to go to school and get a degree it's like i can't afford to go to school and so i came up with kind of my mantra a couple maybe like a week a few days after that event when they told me that i couldn't go to classes anymore and it was basically like if i want to make comics why don't i just make comics and so i just continued doing what i was doing when i was 11 years old um, except i did something much bigger and better hopefully um, I, I drew my first book, uh, Nathan the Caveman, which is a 300-page graphic novel. So that took four years to make. And I was hoping, you know, someone would see it and go, hey, this is pretty good. We should have him draw Turtles or Batman or Spider-Man or whoever. Um, and really, like, nothing came from that immediately. It was a four-hour or, I mean, a four-year-long thing. And every day I was like, God, oh, this is going to get me Spider-Man. This is going to get me Turtles, whatever. It's going to turn the tides and change my whole life. And at the end of it, it was just like people were buying it and they were liking it, but it wasn't like thousands and thousands of copies. I think even that first that first few years of that book being out, maybe 300 copies total. So um, what ended up happening is someone did see the book. They asked me to do a book um, for this local publisher here in Maine, Down East Magazine, Down East Publishing. And they, there's this famous Maine story called Lost on a Mountain in Maine. And it's a true story about this kid at the time in 1939 named Don Fenler, who got lost on Mount Katahdin, which is like a fairly large mountain as far as Maine has. Uh, my wife's from Colorado. So every time I call it a mountain, she's like, you don't have any idea what a mountain is. Uh, but uh, so anyway, this is like 75 years later and they wanted to do a graphic novel adaptation of that famous main book. And that book had been read in every main school, like essentially since 1939. And so I did this comic book adaptation called lost trail. And that started winning a lot of awards and getting a lot of notice. And, and I've been going to schools ever since 2011, like talking to kids about making comics, which has been a really nice, like little channel of, of my career as well. Um, and I, and I do tell them my college story. I'm like, well, I tried. I was like, it might be expensive, but don't get discouraged, you know? And so because of Lost Trail, um, which was because of Nathan the Caveman, um, it, the work just got out in front of people. They saw it and they said, Hey, we really like that. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Um, and as far as Turtles was concerned, it was kind of, you know, I've been making my own 
my own books, self-publishing and, and doing well and building my own, you know, fan bases and things like that. But with Turtles, I was doing those fake kind of like pretend covers that looked like real covers. And show after show, people would be like, you've got to do real ones and we're going to tell IDW. And I was like, yeah, knock yourself out. We'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And finally, it was like Ben Temple Smith saw some of my uh, fake covers there, my prints. And he is a good friend of mine you know, from a few years at shows together and whatnot. And he's like, oh, you're doing Turtles now, huh? So I like even duped him. And, and he's like, you're doing Turtles now, huh? And I said, no, no, these are all just fake. Like they won't, they won't actually give me a real one. And he was like, are you kidding me? And then like two hours later, I had an email from Chris Ryle, who was top of IDW at the time. And, and he was like, Hey, Temple Smith tells me you'd like to draw a turtle cover. He's like, let's do it. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, and so that was my first cover, which was issue 55. They're jumping out of the manhole, um, sewer manhole. And, uh, and then it just kind of just like the other books snowballed just from things being out there, everything kind of snowballed. I, I had a lot of new, um, fans that you know really respected what i was doing and considered me one of the turtle guys as soon as you start doing turtle stuff you're like one of the turtle artists and the artists treat you the exact same way I was having you know dinner after conventions with mateus sanluco michael dillanellis and Corey smith and all these guys that like i just like love 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 their work and and then of course meeting all the the classic guys steve levine eric talbot I did a signing with Peter Laird and Jim Lawson and Steve Levine and Eric Talbot. And then I actually met Kevin last. <laughs> I oh, wow. met Kevin. Uh, yeah. Steve introduced me to Kevin after Rhode Island comic con at the PF Chang's there in the mall. And uh, we're ended up just drawing turtle head sketches for the waitresses on receipts and things like that. And it was a ton of fun. And then later that led to Kevin randomly emailing me about, five months later going, Hey Ben, I got the aggregate looks awesome. It's like, you want to do a book with me? And I was like, are you kidding me? And so then we start chatting and it, so everything just leads to everything essentially. Like if you say you're a writer and you don't have anything that you've written and at least printed and distributed yourself, like you're not a writer yet. Like, so goes back to my little tiny bit of wisdom that I had when I got kicked out of school, which was just like, if I want to make comics, why don't I just make comics? Like it's that simple. So make them, get them out there. It's field of dreams, man. It's like, if you build it, they will come. So I truly believe in that. I say set goals, get goals. And so it's like, you know, when my plate is clear, I think I'm setting the goal to just draw some Spider-Man finally for my 11 year old self. And so I'm going to figure out, you know, what are the chain of events that need to happen for me to draw Spider-Man? And it'll probably start with just like getting to know who holds those gates, you know? Um, so, yeah. It was a long ass answer, man. I'm sorry oh, I'm going it, makes, it makes it easy yeah. for me. That's great. I don't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like um, first time you met uh, um, Peter? What, what was I, I met him once at a convention uh, and like, yeah. like, I think, you know, frightened him, but I'm here. What was it like meeting Peter? I think everybody feels like they frightened Peter. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> no. So what happened? The very first time I've done two shellback signings with him. Um, and I think I've, you know, been around him maybe two or three other times, but so Steve Levine used to own this shop in Wells, Maine called shellback artworks. Uh, and it was a lot of like, he, he was like, Oh, I got all this turtle stuff. I might as well like sell it. And if I'm here selling it, like in a little store, I could work here too. And so he did, you know, his, his work while he was there, but he had an upstairs area where he would actually teach classes and, and things like that. So he, he held a couple signings. First one was like a free comic book day or not the first one, the first one that I went to. And then the second one was a um, shellback closing when they closed up because he was like, I'm actually not getting that much work done here because people are in here all the time and want to talk to me <laughs> about turtles. And, and he's like, and I have to keep looking up. So anyway, when I first met Pete was at that first of those two. And I op- like I was, I was in there. I was waiting for him to get there. I was excited to meet him. I was wearing a Leonardo shirt, that image of him leaning against the tree in the first movie. And uh, I was like, oh, it's going to be the best. It's going to be the best. And so I like saw him get there and I opened the door for him. And 
there's like a video of it because someone else was excited too that I was going to meet him. And so they took a little video of it and I basically opened the door for Pete. He doesn't look at me at all and just is like, thanks. And then goes to like hug Steve and talk to Steve's wife, Dee. And, and I was like, okay. And then it wasn't until like we all sat upstairs like 45 minutes later and I sat next to him and he was like, oh, oh, I didn't know you were who you are. Like, oh, hey. And he was really nice. And uh, he thought I was just, you know, there. But I was like, no, no, I'll be sitting next to you all day and signing things. I don't have any right to sign. People are having me sign like Turtles issue one. It's like, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> and they're like, you're you're here. And I, I had only done the one cover at the time. But yeah, Pete was Pete was amazing. Super, super sweet. Obviously, you've seen that before. Very soft-spoken. My favorite parts were when he would make fun of Eric Talbot. Um, he was giving Talbot shit about something. And then rather than Talbot give shit back to Pete, he started giving me shit. And so then I gave Eric Talbot shit and that was making Pete laugh. And so it was a really good time. Um, yeah. I think Eric, Eric was making fun of the way I draw bricks or something. And so I made fun of the fact that he did all his commissions like at home because he's too scared to draw in front of people because he must trace everything or something. It was like the first time I hung out with Talbot too. And I was like, gosh, shit, this guy's going to kill me. <laughs> but it was fun. And Steve, I mean, I, I, I had the pleasure of spending a little bit of time with Steve and he just seems like the, he's just the coolest guy. And, uh, yeah. Like just super easygoing, super friendly. Like he was great. Is is that the first time you met him? Was it Shellback or? Uh, first time I met him was at Shellback, but not that day. So I had I had went in once. I convinced Jill, my wife, to go there with me, and I think it I think it was because it was my birthday. I was like, oh, I want to go there, and I took a picture in front of like he had these big four turtle statues that looked like sculptures from like a mini golf course or something. Yeah, and so I took a picture in front of um. And he was there the whole time. And I just didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing anything turtle wise. I was definitely a comic book artist and I knew who he was and I knew it was his shop, but I never introduced myself at all. I was just like, okay, thanks. And then like left. And then it wasn't until the next time I was in and he's like, oh, welcome back. Like, cause he remembered what I looked like. And I was like, so my name is the, and he's like, oh, I, I've heard of you. He's like, what the heck? You should have said something last time. I was like, I don't know. But yeah. So anyway, he is like, he's just like a party in a, in a bottle. Like he's crazy. Uh, Kevin, Kevin says he based Michelangelo after him. So yeah, that tells you everything you need to know right there. Um, but I see Steve a lot. So Steve's only like 20 minutes from me. I see him more than anyone. Probably. He was just here in the studio a few days ago, he dropped by because he needed to scan some stuff. He doesn't have a big scanner. I and I was like, all right, you're going to buy a scanner. I was like, this wasn't that much money. And I sent him the link. And, but that means that I might not see him as much. So I don't know. Maybe he just does it so he can hang out. But he's coming back on, on Friday. We're going to do some some wings here in the studio. I got my air fryer. So he's a ton of fun. Very cool. And uh, as far as Kevin goes, how did you end up getting closer to Kevin? Yeah. So. Uh, Again, Steve introduced me to him at PF Chang's. Um, but earlier that day at Rhode Island Comic Con, like I knew Kevin was at the show. I was there. Steve was there. There are a bunch of other turtle artists there. Um, Ian Chase Nichols, uh, Chris Campana had done a cover at that point, I think. And there was a turtle panel, but it was basically just Kevin. I think and maybe Steve was there, but someone came up to me after and was like, yeah, Kevin just mentioned you on the panel. And I'd never met this guy. I like knew who he was. And I guess somebody said, I think he said, Oh, there's a lot of great turtle artists at this show. And he like named some of them and was like, Oh, and Ben Bishop. Yeah. That guy draws turtles better than me. And this guy was telling me, that. I was like, what I've come have, I've now found that, you know, cause I've been on panels with Kevin. He says that about a lot of great artists. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't just a me thing, but I was like, that's strange. So now I got to meet him. So I met him uh, later that night and then we didn't, we didn't talk. Um, we didn't really keep in touch for a few months. I'd sent him a copy of the aggregate and I had sent one, my, my book. And I had sent that to Pete as well. Um, hoping that I could get a quote for the back cover. And Pete sent me a quote. Um, he sent me this really sweet, like short and sweet quote. That's a beautiful artwork and an ambitious story. It's just like very Pete. But what's even more Pete is that 
he he goes, I feel like I would be amiss if I didn't mention. And it was like, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, oh shit, he's going to like tear my, my book apart now. Cause he's like so good at what he does. Um, and he just was critiquing the way I was spelling certain things, like certain things that are still acceptable spellings now, but haven't always been like, all right. I had a lot of all right in my book, which, you know, it's perfectly all right to spell all right, A-L-R-I-G-H-T. But Pete was very adamant that it should be two words, A-L-L, <laughs> right? And so I was like, man, I'll, I'll, like, like I, I'm so thankful. Like, I, I don't like critiques ever. Like, I don't want to, especially oh, yeah. when something's already done. It's like, what am I going to do about it? Okay, oh, yeah. you're just making me feel bad. But, yeah. But I, but I was, so I, I kind of had a little bit of that, but then more of the fact that like, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's, he's smart. Like I should probably change that. And then I was like, well, I wonder how many there really are. It's in like the first word balloon of the book or like the first page. Like, so then I was like, did he just read one freaking page and then like write me an email? <laughs> so I don't know, but it was did you, but it's like one of those words that you found that you like, I use this word, like I figured out because I write for a magazine and I've written a bunch of other stuff, I realized I use the word just fun, like maybe more than any other word. Did you find that it was just, just. A, it was way too much? Like all right is just in every page or no? Uh, yeah, it's literally, so page one, I'm on video right now, so I'll show you, but page one, there's only two word balloons at the bottom of that page. One of them is Val, question mark, and then the second one is you all right. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was literally page one balloon number two uh i think i do use that a lot as far as words go i think i use yeah a lot as well like yeah. especially even in my diet in the dialogue i'm writing because comics are a lot about you know writing dialogue for characters i'll find that often that i'll because i write i write a lot of them similarly to how i would talk you know so like yeah comma but you know, yeah. and then the rest of the sentence when it could have just been that sentence without the yeah, but or something, you know. Yeah. So I'll look back at that every now and then. See, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You only yeah. realize that in the revision might, stage when your script is too long. Yeah. Like, Shit, I'm using this word ten times. Yeah. So. Right. So he got me that quote, and then the fact that Kevin never got me a quote was what got us connected for drawing blood. So he had the aggregate and he's just like busy, 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 like a thousand projects at once, always still like that. And the book was there and he knew he had to get a quote, felt bad that he didn't get me one. He writes me this email. It's like, hey, Ben, I got your book, the aggregate. It's like, sorry, I didn't get you a quote yet. Uh, the email is actually printed in, in the back of Drawing Blood if anyone has it. But I have like a little screenshot from the phone. It was a great day. It's like, sorry, I haven't gotten you a quote yet. Will do. Been traveling the planet. Let me cut to the chase. I have a project, a big one I think you'd be perfect for. What are you working on now? And what is your availability for the next year? This is my direct email and my direct cell number is blank, blank, blank. Uh, let's talk soon. Best. And so there was actually one more line in that email that I took out before we printed it in Drawing Blood, which was like, I got the aggregate. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, there's my back cover quote, right? <laughs> so I still don't have an official quote. I think I think he gave me one for book two, and it's like, um, Ben Bishop is a creator that if I wasn't already working with him, I would be exhausting myself trying to or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I like that. And it kind of goes back to like what I said about last run and like, he's, I'm so lucky and fortunate and that he's so generous and he's found me as part of that camp of like people I should work with as often as possible, you know? That's very cool. Um, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. You know, I have a question for you uh, as far as turtles goes. So like you're somebody who's come into turtles after dozens, if not hundreds of other artists have already interpreted them. Like, but if I look at your artwork now, I know Ben Bishop's turtles, right? Like I know the ones you've drawn. So like my question is, oh, cool. how did you find your style of turtles? Cause again, it's, it's not, there's so many people who came before you. How do you make sure you don't do what everybody else? Yeah. Does? Yeah, no, totally. I think that's super interesting. Cause every, that's like what I had mentioned a little bit earlier, but that's, what's so freaking cool about turtles. It's like, you can't really do that with Superman or Batman or even Spider-Man. Sometimes it's like, 
you can't have these artists take these like wildly different approaches. Like some artists literally will just give them nostrils or give them scales or, or make them super short or make their shells huge. But, and it's okay. And we accept it. And we are like, Oh, that's that artist. Like look at Eric Talbot's turtles versus Kevin's versus Mateus Sanluco. It's insane. So I really love that about it. So I kind of knew like, I have to find my own versions of all of these. And um that i think the closest i can pinpoint it is it's between the jim henson suits and my favorite of the idw looks which is mateus Luco, and then sprinkled with a tiny tiny bit of the Ciro neely tmnt show on nickelodeon um i did this one print that's a lineup of all four turtles and that was the first that was kind of my model sheet of this is how i'm gonna at least this is how their straps are gonna work this is the accessories each one wears um each one has different wraps on their arms and legs in a different kind of orientation like rafts will go all the way from his ankles up to like his upper thighs whereas leo just has him on his feet and his knees blah blah blah, blah. but on that model sheet is when I like made all my choices and they're all in reference to everything that came before. So Mikey, I always draw with the big, like three pad elbow pads and knee pads, which is like the Henson movie. And I also give him a little pin on his belt with an M on it, but it's like super subtle, but that's like a nod to the cartoon. <laughs> and then, um, Raph, I always put the crack in his front shell, like the Nickelodeon show which I love. And I actually showed the, as far as my Ben Bishop universe, I showed the origin of that crack in the target R story that I drew with Kevin. And so there's a point where he like, he, uh, he gets shot by these EPF guys, Bishop's men. And he, and he falls through the ice and it's like, there's a big explosion and this shell cracks. And you can see it in the book, like before in the book, it wasn't there. And then it is after but it's really a nod to the Nickelodeon show. And then I think with Donnie, I kind of gave him my spin, which was, I mean, he's got all, his straps work the same way as the Nickelodeon show, but I always give him a purple screwdriver. Um, I just thought it was cool. Like a flathead, <laughs> like the one he probably would use least <laughs> ever. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, but I thought it was cool. And uh, with Leo, Leo is as, as Henson as it gets without the, knee and elbow pads but just like his demeanor and his face and his attitude i don't I, nothing comes closer than like the voice of the first turtle movie and the look of leo in the first turtle movie it's just so good it's perfect i think that jason biggs that's his name right from the nick show he did a really really good job of having that kind of like every man captain america kind of voice oh yeah um, that was awesome really like that did you draw the turtles? Like you've been drawing the turtles since you were a kid, right? Did you make a conscious choice? Like I have to draw them differently now to make sure I don't draw them like everybody else. Yeah. So my older turtle stuff, my very first one I ever drew, I've posted on Facebook a few times. It's like an MS paint digital drawing, which is crazy. That <laughs> at least that's the first one I, I, I remember or still have, but that one was very mirage too. Like it has like the top head and then the big wide cheeks and like the you know the infinity kind of eight for a mouth where it's like nothing in the middle but two side growls um but then throughout middle school and high school i would draw them again but they never looked the same way anytime i drew them it's kind of how i'm drawing batman now if you if you skulk on my instagram every single batman i've drawn is very different sometimes i make them look more like michael keaton with like these crazy thin lips or like bigger and grittier like a frank miller batman but i haven't found like my batman yet i don't know <laughs> how i would do him if given the opportunity and so with the turtles it was every single time i drew them i was trying something different uh you know like bigger hands smaller hands whatever different pointy beaks um lots of wraps lots of accessories whatever but it wasn't until like i got serious about you know i'm gonna get a cover at least that I started finding my style. And that's when I did that, that lineup. And I've kind of just stuck to that since. Um, it's interesting though, to watch certain people like Mateus Sanluco, like where his turtles started and secret history of the foot and where they are now. 
They changed um, because they're much like, yeah, they're much more like round and smooth and kind of cute. Um, but they can be, they can be gritty and mean when they need to be. But I'll always love the secret history of the foot uh, turtles that he drew. I think that's my favorite version of all of the IDW stuff. Um, he probably looks at it and he's like, oh, oh, I could do so much better now. Like, but they're so cool. Yeah, his, with his style, you'll see a marked change between, and it's gradual. Yeah. Never like, oh, now they're different. It's super gradual. They yeah. softened over the last several years. So. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure why. And I, he showed me other drawings. He's done some drawings where they look like straight up real live turtles, but just like standing up. I don't know if he posted those, but they're like super, super realistic. And he was like pitching this story to IDW. Um, and I was like, that needs to happen. They look so cool. Um, so he's just, he's kind of just like finding what he thinks is interesting. I would imagine. Um, I don't think it does, does, the cutesy um, transition happened because of any other reason other than he thought it looked good and wanted to try it. I don't think it was like, Oh, well I got to draw them faster or, you know, people like Sophie Campbell's turtles so much. I got to make them like that. Like, I think he was just like this, this will be fun. I want to do them this way. Um, which I think is really cool. <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask you before I let you go about uh, target R, which is uh, mm-hmm. just a, a I mean, people should have read this by now, but I mean, it's uh, the macro series for, uh, for Raphael and it's an awesome, awesome story. It's basically Raphael meets weapon X, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So what do you want to know about? Do you want me How to did tell you find out you were getting that, that one? Cause that, that was your first, I mean, I know you'd done yeah. artwork before then, but that was the first kind of big one. Am I wrong? No, you're right. Yeah. So I'd never done, I hadn't done any turtle interiors. Um, officially a lot of covers um, and things like that. But this was going to be the first time they would let me on the inside of the books, which I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) And it came about similarly to how last running came out. Um, It came about Kevin uh, and I were working on drawing blood together, which is like a great way for me to prove myself and show them how fast I am and show them the way I think about laying out a page, yada, yada. And it was, this was the second time I hung out with him in person. The first time being the PF Chang's thing. And like several months later, we were at San Diego Comic-Con announcing Drawing Blood on a panel, like a panel at San Diego Comic-Con. I was like, are you kidding me? And then the last night of that show, so Sunday night, it's like, why don't you just come back? Why don't you just come back to our place? And so I actually spent the night over at his place um, with Courtney and um, Shane and, and Kevin and and Kevin and I stayed up really late uh, in his garage, which is just bins and bins of toys and comics and all this stuff. And we're having a couple of beers and we're staying up really late. And, and like, to me, it was the epitome of like that scene you've seen in a thousand movies where like the wife comes down. She's like, are you coming to bed? And he's like, 10 more minutes, huh? And like we did that like for hours, <laughs> Courtney coming down and being like, are you guys still talking? Like, and I think I said like, you know what I really want to draw, man? I was like, I want to just do one story. And like, part of me was probably like trying to pitch it or whatever, but I was just kind of talking out loud. And I was like, I want to do one story. That's like, it's essentially that like park scene from the first movie, which was also in the original comics of Casey and Raph, like, but extended for an entire book where it's just like one night out with Casey and Raph and they're just like busting skulls. They each have their own like inner monologue and it tells a lot about them and what they're doing and why they're doing it and what their belief is and on the world and yada, yada, yada. But it would be like, they don't say much to each other other than like, you know, giving each other crap like they always do, which is just like male insecurity because they truly just are in love with each other. And so like all that would come out in their inner monologues as they're just like breaking people's noses and stuffing them in trash cans and shit. And like, <laughs> I was, like that's the story I want to tell. And, and he goes, I got something kind of similar and I was like, what? And he told me about target R, which was essentially like one awful night for Raphael where he's abducted by Bishop and then poked and prodded and tested on. And Bishop basically grabs him because he's like, he's, he's the most angry of the bunch. He has the most rage. Like I want to tap into that rage. And he's like really testing 
the mutants. He later goes further with Slash, right? Or was that before? Might have been before. Um, but so it was that, but it was also this very like real relationship with Casey because they were on patrol early in the book. And then later in the book, um, they get back together after a rap has just been like brainwashed. And it's really a good story. If you haven't read it, uh, IDW did, uh, these big, like spotlight double sized issues on every single turtle called the macro series and target R is just the Raphael one. Um, so you gotta check that out. It's written by Kevin. He did the layouts as well. And then I did the finals. Um, so it's cool also to be able to draw something that he was hundred percent writing, you know, cause Tom does so much of the IDW stuff, but this was like for better or worse, like all Kevin, like, so the dialogue was like, Oh, that, that sounds familiar. <laughs> like it was good. <laughs> I loved it. That's awesome. Um, so basically that's when he first like said, Oh, this might be a thing. And then I think the timing worked out with the very end of drawing blood volume one, where he was like, I think we can do this. And, and he told IDW I'd be the one drawing it. So I didn't have to go through the usual like protocol and gatekeepers. They just like, were like, Oh, Kevin said it. So, so I think that was cool. Um, but I've been building that IDW relationship for a long time before that happened too. So I think that on their end, they knew like, okay, he can actually do it. and This won't be bad. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully it, yeah. It's a great story. It really is. You know what? I want to get one story out of, you, out of you before I let you go. I've heard this from you mm-hmm. times where uh, you first kind of got wind about Jenica when uh, at a mm-hmm. position where you're, you were going to drop the, you were trying to, were you trying to sell Tom Waltz on making Venus cool? Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, so this was actually North Carolina Comic Con. I was on a panel with Kevin and Tom, and we weren't supposed to, but Kevin does this, and he announced Target R. So it happened to also be the panel where where Kevin announced that I was on this big book that I've been waiting to tell everyone about. So I had a lot of um, people there that I knew that were super psyched for me. um, So that was really amazing. But another question was like, what what character would you bring into the IDW universe if you could bring in any character or something? And I had told, I had said it like for a big, you know, chunk of my answer. I was like, I can make Venus cool. Like I want to prove to you guys, I can make Venus cool. And like, I had done a couple drawings because there's nothing wrong with the fact that she's a female turtle. Like what's wrong with her was that that show was terrible. Yeah. I don't think she should have been sky blue and it didn't need to be braided. She didn't need boobs. And was she related to them? Cause it was creepy. They were like ogling her and stuff. And so like all of those were, yeah, all of those were like the issues with Venus, not the fact that there's a female turtle, like that can be done well. And then, you know, in true non-spoilery fashion, Tom said like, I'm working on something like that or something. And I was like, Oh great. It's going to do Venus without me now. Just like they, just like they did like Batman crossover instead of Ben 10. And, uh, and then I found out it was Jenica and I was like, Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> so they've been working on that since issue 50. So we were long past that when, when we did that panel. So. Let me ask you, what would have been your Venus? Like, what, like, did you have a story in mind? You're just like, Oh, I could do it and not have it. Be- uh, yeah. Mine was more like design wise and art wise. I could make people take her seriously and make her look cool, make her fit in. Um, I didn't have a really good, story i think she was a human first um there's a little bit of that in my tmnt or tmn10 crossover that i wrote um it's not venus but i always like the idea of like if you mutated it was like the animal you had spent a lot of time with Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of where where my mutations came from in that story um which is not technically the way it works in idw i don't think um but so I was kind of coming at it from that, like it would have been someone they knew and they were already close with it. Definitely wouldn't have been like a sister. Uh, I think I had this other idea that it was like another dimension where there were four female turtles. It's kind of like a Rick and Morty alternate universe. Okay. And then she's the only one that like comes over, but one of the guys goes over there. Um, and I thought that would be really cool. That would have any of those would have been way cooler than the next mutation. I think you're. I think yeah. it's just it. There's so I, I. There's so many things just kind of like 
just off about that. I, I when I had Kevin on, he actually apologized for next mutation. <laughs> He's like, that was all really sorry. Yeah, it was hilarious. But I mean, like, there's just so That's many awesome. things about like, and I try to find something to love about every version of that, uh, every mm. turtles, but that's a, that's the one I kind of have a hard time with. Yeah. It, it's tough to watch. I, I like as bad as it is, like as bad as what I'm about to mention is I kind of like that about it. Like I, again, I like like the weird change-ups. Like I like how they changed. Uh, like Raph is essentially wearing like a do rag, I think. And like, it's just like goes over his head instead of just like the bandana, you know, like, so they all have kind of like a little different look, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean it's good, but it's cool to see them in a different look. Yeah. So I like that about it. And then you start watching it and the suits aren't working that well. Yeah. And like the dialogue is very bad and everything is like really close up because they didn't have any sets. It's just like dark rooms and fog. And I was just like, eh, I don't know. I don't know about this. Like, and there's the same six feels, clips in every episode. Like, it's is it? like they always go to the same footage of like the truck driving or Raph on the motorcycle. Like, it's so weird. So, I think they did that on purpose because like Power Rangers got away with it, and it's the yep. same company where they would use like this recycled footage. But outside of Power Rangers or like VR Troopers or whatever, outside of a show exactly like that, I don't think it works for some reason like people expect like people notice it and they're like uh you're just using the same stuff like i remember being really off put by power rangers when i like i paused it once to like go get a snack or something and it paused like right on their foot and i could see that they were like their boots were spray painted like reebok sneakers <laughs> and i was like oh, that, that's lame and out of everything like that took me out of it forever i was like i'm done with this show it's such a it was dumb like, reason to hate on it but. I, I feel so like i, I know like, i i'm someone who can kind of get back in the mode of like watching this shit when you were a kid but and i'm sure gonna have people listen to this who love power rangers but like i i tried to get back into it or just watch it and i just couldn't stomach the old power Rangers. Yeah. it's weird and it's not something i, I had a weird experience I had a weird experience trying to rewatch old Ghostbusters cartoons okay. and it was something, it was something about the music, like the score, which is like really sharp, like trumpets and stuff. Just like, you know, you can picture like, just like the dirt, 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 like music that's going on as they're like walking around doing stuff. But it was so like high pitched and the treble was way up. There was no bass to it whatsoever that I was getting like stomach aches. It was like <laughs> affecting me, affecting me like physically, like, I, and I don't know if it was like this re recall, like weird memory thing where like the last time I watched that show, I was like, had the flu or something. I don't know, but, but I had to turn it off. I was like, Oh, this is affecting me. Like, in my tummy <laughs> i didn't get it and, and and some of the episodes of the turtles were doing the same thing like this high pitch kind of score or like jarry animation where it was like not great you know at sure. times and, and something about that was just like unsettling and i was like Ugh. turtles kind of falls off those first few you're just like holy crap like this animation's amazing then it gets worse and worse and worse as it goes on but i still love it forever <laughs> what i find though is like I, I i regularly still watch the old cartoon and like while yeah. animation is wildly inconsistent like the thing that gets me is the the joke writing is really funny like there's constantly mention of like exposition or we've got to fill in the audience like like yeah. I'm my kid now and every time they mention like oh well we've got to beat the bad guys by the end of the episode she thinks it's hysterical like i love that <laughs> That that part of the writing is still really funny, even though like yeah. the are often the same, and the the animation is wildly inconsistent. The gag writing, yeah, like Rick and Rick and Morty is so self aware. They do that shit all the time, where they're like, "Oh, this is our arc of the episode. Yeah, it's a, this is a this is a Rick and Jerry episode. Oh, it's gonna be great." Like, um, but you always like everyone mentions it. They're like, oh, it's so so self-referential. They know that they're like in a cartoon, and that's very interesting. But you're right that like Turtles was already doing that. Oh, yeah. And it was just because the writers, the writers were probably up against like a blank page of paper, and were like, "How are we going to get 
like the bad guy motivation across without just saying it. It's like, well, just make a joke about the fact that you just have to say it. And like, that's how they wrote it. They're just like, just be aware of it. That's why Thor works in the Marvel universe is because they made fun of him for like three movies. And then finally, when he goes crazy in infinity war, you're like, I want him on my team because he's amazing. And like now everyone loves him. That's the problem with the DC movies is the DC movies. Everyone is Thor except for Batman and Batman can't just make fun of everyone. So they make fun of him. And then we're just like topsy turvy upside down universe where we're like, Oh, Batman's the only one that makes sense. He's rich and he buys gadgets and stuff. Like, and he's crazy. So like in Marvel, they knew they were like, we've got to have Robert Downey Jr. Make fun of, Thor for like a whole movie yeah <laughs> and, then, and then the audience will like it <laughs> like, yeah point out what doesn't on a joke yeah, yeah. Right, try so hard to sell it like make fun of like we we realize this is ridiculous yeah like if turtles didn't try to just come right out and say i'm gonna tell you my whole evil plan like everyone will go oh and here shredder's telling his whole evil plan but the moment he says that you can't make fun of him for it no so like yeah great. he just said he was gonna do that yeah yeah Genius. <laughs> My last Genius. question for you, man, is is this um uh who's your favorite turtle? I always go with Leonardo. He's the leader, he's responsible. Something about his voice and his face and his attitude in those in the first Henson movie, even the second one. Um just like so perfect. Um I grew up loving Mickey though. I think I grew into loving Leo because no one liked Leo as a kid, really. Like, yeah, they were no. just like, ah, oh, he's the one who always tells you, you can't do this and you can't do that. And as you get older, you're like, don't put your glass at the edge of the coffee table. The dog's tail is going to hit it. Uh, <laughs> don't eat spaghetti in a white shirt. You're going to get it on your shirt. So, like, I'm a bit neurotic. I can kind of minority report every aspect of my life. And, uh, and so I think I like that about Leo. Like, you got to be prepared, um, even if it makes you look like a, a stiff to everyone else. Um, Mikey's just like, he's too loose cannon to still be an adult's favorite, I think, but I know there's <laughs> a lot of them out there. Yeah. Honestly, man, that covers but, it. So I really appreciate talking to you and uh, I'm looking forward to everything to come in uh, last Ronin and uh, yeah, a whole bunch of, yeah, yeah, it should, should be out right at the end of October uh, issue one, which I have a little bit to do with. And then from two through five, I'll be a, a big part. So, Can't wait. Cool. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks, man.